0: got into microchips just because I thought it was cool. Um, I saw it on a YouTube video and I said, I want that. Where do I get it? And then that led me into the rabbit hole of like, what can you do with them? What are people doing with them and all of that?
1: I'm Bri Prestige, and this is Hyperscale, the podcast of the future. We don't know for certain what the future of technology might look like but we're starting to form some ideas. No answer lasts forever, but we drive transformation with all the right questions. We're curious. We're adapting with the times. We're enjoying the discovery. Hi everybody, and welcome to another episode of HyperScale. It's your host, Briar Prestige. And today I have somebody on line with me who has a microchip and I actually met him at a networking event and I asked to add him on LinkedIn and he held out his hand and this was how I met Daniel Jaramillo. He is one of the leading team members of I.O., a crypto tangible twin of the physical diamond supply. So very interested to hear a little bit more about this and welcome to the show, Daniel. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, thank you for having me. And and I, I always love talking back to people that scan my chip.
1: It was, you're, you're very memorable because of it. Definitely a
0: conversation starter.
1: <laughs> definitely, yes. And as I mentioned- Hey, to- that's
0: one of the selling points for it. That is one of the selling points for it.
1: Absolutely. And as I mentioned to you when I saw you as well, I was, I'm I'm very excited to get my own microchip. So I'm looking forward to discussing this a little bit more with you today and hearing a bit more about what you think I should be getting.
0: Absolutely. I do have some comments. I had a bit of a situation with my right hand, but we'll get to it later.
1: What did you have go on with your right hand?
0: So... When you get the chip implanted, there's there's something called migration that naturally happens. Because the chip is subdermal, the chip will move to where it basically decides to be. Well, this chip decided to migrate like like a duck. So it just went all the way from up here where it started. And one day I woke up and I had it right down here. But I don't like it to be down because I can feel it down here. So I had to maybe ease it up and then use some band-aids to keep it in position for it to just stay there. But it was an exciting time.
1: That's disgusting.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) And painful. (laughs) But it's what you do when you have a microchip.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. So what actually can your microchip do? Tell everybody listening a, a bit about your microchip and what it does.
0: So I have one in each hand. I have some N E X T chips from Dangerous Things, and they they are dual frequency. They do RFID and NFC. And then my right hand is my house key and my car key. And my left hand is my business card. And I keep usually a meme or some other card that I'm using, like hotel key card or whatever. That's, in general, what I do use them for. The NFC part is the one that gets scanned the most cause it's my business card and then whatever meme I have on the other hand. And the RFID part I use for access control for like my house, I hacked my car so that I could turn it on and open it and unlock it with my hand which is very comfortable to not have to carry the keys around anywhere, I'm never locked out. <laughs> That's the general use I've had to it. I've, I've done some miscellaneous things, so I managed to reprogram the Oyster card. I'm in the UK right now, I'm usually based in Colombia. I reprogrammed the Oyster to my hand so I could just use the Metro, no problem with my hand. I tried doing the same in Dubai with the Dubai Metro card. Didn't work out, their encryption is fantastic. We keep adding to it, we keep adding to it. I've only had issues with security once in Vegas. I rewrote my hotel key card to it, and, and on the cameras, it seemed like I was breaking into the room because I just tapped the door and opened it, and then security came barging in.
1: <laughs> so how do you actually rewrite... I had to do
0: some explaining.
1: Yeah, how do you actually rewrite things onto your card? So say you're in Vegas and you want to attach your hotel card. Is it quite easy to do so?
0: It, it is, but it takes some... Getting used to. I mean, it, it kind of depends on what kind of chip you have and being able to diagnose what's out there. So, when you get the chip from Dangerous Things in particular, they will sell you a little card or, and some chips that you can use to test what kind of reader is out there. So, you can understand, oh, this reader is RFID, so it's, it's low frequency or it's um, NFC high frequency, something like that. And then you decide how to interface with the devices based on the type of chip that you have. So, if you want to do some like Some types of NFC chips for access control can't be written into this chip, but some others can. So you have to pick, basically diagnose what's around you and pick. Um, And what I do is for all NFC rewrites, I'll just use my phone. um, and I have some apps in here that I can decrypt cards with and then clone them into the chip. And for all RFID things, I carry a little cloner with me. So it's one of those little... um, the penguin thing is the orange thing i'll send you a link it allows you to clone any nfc or rfid chip decrypt it and then you can just clone it to your chip whenever you want oh i didn't. you have to do check like i use that to check and diagnose like oh yeah i can i can clone this key card i can clone this like whatever
1: i didn't realize it was as easy as that do you know how i can get my chip unlocking my rdr8
0: I don't know what the type of key card that is, but I'm, I'm sure you can. Um, I saw somebody that got the Tesla key card formed into a chip so that they could unlock that. So okay, I'm, I'm sure there's a way.
1: Good, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm keen to to explore and, and figure it out a little bit more. So starting off with understanding a little bit more about your company, Rixo, tell us a bit about this. And when we were at our networking event with you, you very kindly gave me an NFT diamond and a real diamond as well. Not an engagement diamond, but a diamond nonetheless. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a diamond nonetheless. That's a great description of the type of diamond. Um, so basically it was around a year ago that we started with the, with the company and the whole idea and developing it. Um, All of the printers, we're all super Web3 nerds. We love the idea of living in the metaverse. we have been exploring VR and we have been exploring like new technologies for a bit now. And we decided that the NFT space was a space that we could totally explore and, and discover new things in. And that led us on a pathway. We started with the fact we wanted to create a meta material. So something that gave value to the things you see in the metaverse. It evolved into a new concept of we recognize that the world around us is full of stuff. Little trinkets, little objects, and everything carries meaning, right? How do we bring that stuff into a virtual world? How do we make um, all the little trinkets that go around you to carry that same meaning in a virtual space? And the one object we decided to mimic and basically create the cryptangible, for us cryptangible is just replicating the social contract of a physical object, as a digital only asset. So it carries all the principles, but it's not tied in any way between the physical and virtual bridge. And we went for diamonds because it it was only natural. I mean, diamonds are universal. So there's billions of diamonds out there um, and they range in sizes and they carry a certain number of traits, usually four to six, depending on how deep you want to go into the traits that give it some value depending on the size. So it is, in a sense, the original NFT. If you crush it, it's worthless. But if it stays in the cut and all the traits stay perfect, it's worth X amount to you. And also, diamonds carry a lot of meaning with them. So we talk to a lot of diamond experts. We talk to people in the mining industry. We talk to people in the selling diamonds, grading them. We talk to a person that does replicas of famous diamonds for studies and museums and we generated basically this curve of supply. So our diamonds go all the way from zero, zero, one carats, so tiny, tiny, tiny diamond, um, all the way to 600, which is equivalent to like the Cullinan one that the queen had, now the king has. And of course, that supply. on On the smaller side, there is 100 million, and on the bigger side, there's only 10. And it replicates as closely as we can the natural supply of diamonds as the digital-only asset. And as diamonds, we are committed to releasing that supply over the next, like, the rest of the century, so 77 years. Which is also the cycle of the Halley Comet, not by coincidence. Very cool. we're very excited for it. And and we bring in a lot of partners to integrate diamonds into the space because, like, the idea of grading the stuff is... If you have a jewelry company in the metaverse and you want people to carry that meaning with them, yeah, sure, if you put a shiny rock in there, you can say it's a diamond. But if you say, hey, that's a Vexo diamond with this characteristics, it carries a lot more meaning because then you can use that on a different platform. You can take that off and and it's like a normal diamond, all the stuff that carries into the metaverse.
1: So how many diamonds do you have that you've handed out?
0: Uh, I have right now around... 150 diamonds, but all of my treasury I've committed to give away to the community. So all the diamonds that I have on my treasury right now, I give away on community events, I give away on uh, like giveaways on other spatial groups, everything like that, Um, until we reach two years. After two years, I can start keeping my treasury of diamonds, but right now it's fully philanthropist. (laughs)
1: Awesome. And your team works strictly in virtual reality, I hear. And I've actually been to your offices yes. in virtual reality and met your your CEO and tell us a little bit about what it's like working in VR all the time, because I don't know about you, but I get very severe cyber sickness. I get hot flushes and I feel quite unwell, I get headaches. Is this something that you get as well or are you used to it by this point? So
0: I got my Quest 2, I think, two and a half or three years ago. Um, at the beginning, it, cyber sickness is a thing. Like, it's it's pretty rough. But I think I just powered through it because when I started, I really liked flight sims. Um, I'm the flight sim nerd, so I did a lot of flight sim, and that really throws you off. Like, that's the next level of cyber sickness because it just moves you all around. And after about a month, that went away very quickly. And now I spend around four hours a day on the headset. We, of course, adapt them a little bit so that it's more comfortable to use. Um, the whole team uses them. Most of the time, some of them get tired of it eventually and they'll they'll join from their computer. But in general, I don't anymore. I do notice that some platforms give me more fatigue than others, but when you've used it as much, you, you kind of just like pick, this is the headset I like, this is how I like to use it in this platform, and we can spend about X time in there. And I think right now, I'm using the Quest Pro, some other team members are also using this one and some others are using the Quest 2 with the advanced strap, like the, the more cushy one. Because this one's not for everyone. I mean, I really like the strap, it's a lot more balanced, but it it's not meant to fit everyone's head, for sure.
1: The nice thing about spatial.io is that you can actually access through the computer as well. So I'm sure if you do start to be a, feel a bit fatigued from wearing the VR headset, that some people do probably Turn up to office meetings on the, the laptop. Is that the case?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. We really like Spatial because of that, and you can also go in from your phone as well or any browser. So it's very comfortable. Um, and if we want to have more of a sit down or stand up meeting, that's very quick and very screen sharing, very like businessy. We'll switch to Workrooms, Horizon Workrooms, which you can also access only through a computer browser. But it's it's fantastic. The avatars do face tracking with the new Quest Pro. So it really is like being there with with the rest of the team. And, and to address the initial part of the question, yes, we all work from in VR. So all of our meetings are in VR, that doesn't mean that all of them have the headset 24 seven in like the same office space. And I just last week met the last person in person from the team, we'd been working for a year and I hadn't, I, I met some of them slowly, 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 and I just met the last person, so I officially now, physically know all the team as well, which was very exciting.
1: (laughs) It's funny in today's society, isn't it? How you're hire based on on Zoom or something like this and give a person a full-time job and then it's not until they start working for you, sometimes even months later, as you rightly pointed out, that you get to meet them for the first time physically.
0: Absolutely, and and I don't know if it's happened to you in those cases where you've talked to them so much and you've been in call so much that when you meet them person is just like, oh, yeah, this is now normal. Like, I I understand that this is you and we can talk about normal stuff. Like, it's not this whole big event. And in avatar to avatar conversations, I think that translates a lot better.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely had this experience when I was doing my 48 Hours in the Metaverse documentary and then I was doing a lot of world hopping. So there were so many avatars that I was consistently seeing when I was going to various events. And... I remember the last event that I went to was Burning Man in VR. And I was seeing so many different avatars that I recognized and I was going, hey, cause, like, hey, Athena, like waving to everybody. And then it wasn't until a month ago, actually, that I got to meet so many of these people in in person. And it really did feel like meeting an old friend, perhaps someone that you went to primary school or high school with, you know, because you had that kind of rapport. But at the same time, it it was a bit same, same, but different. It was, it was quite a fascinating feeling, actually.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people, when I tell them for the first time, or they, I don't know, come to the office or something, or they see me working because I take my Quest Pro to cafes a lot because I like to work with many monitors and I feel very restricted when I'm on my laptop. Um, and they're like, oh, but you never see their faces and stuff. And I'm like, I don't need to. I, I see all their body language. I know if they're talking to me or if they're not talking to me because their their head is looking at me. I see when their their hands are engaged in conversation. I get a lot more cues from this than I would do from Zoom. It it translates really well. And I, I love interacting with the remote team in avatar to avatar as much as possible. Although Zoom is also a great alternative because sometimes you do need to see their faces for other types of events.
1: Absolutely, so jumping back to your microchips, so you mentioned all the different ways in in which you use it. Where do you see the future of microchips going? How do you see them evolving over time?
0: So uh, I got into microchips just because I thought it was cool. Um, I saw it on a YouTube video and I said, I want that, where do I get it? And then that led me into the rabbit hole of like, what can you do with them? What are people doing with them and all of that? I've seen some very cool things done. Um, I've seen them used in dementia patients to where you add the chip and then people can scan it very easily to see where they are. And like it will geolocate as soon as somebody scans their chip. Um, I've seen it used maybe with office spaces that have key cards, some employees would choose to get the chip in so that they can get access control. I think that would be the natural way to use it. I really enjoy carrying my key in my hand. Um, as much as people say, oh, but what happens if they learn it's your the chip is in your hand? And I'm like, I mean, if they know that it's NFC in my hand, they're not gonna cut off my hand. They'll they'll scan it and they'll steal it, but that's very easy to do. Like that is a risk you you carry. I think payment is the next frontier. I am on the waiting list for payment paymentship. However, I don't think it's for everyone. Like it is, it is a little bit ooh unnerving and kind of yucky for, well, for some especially people. Especially if it's heating and down they don't towards your like, wrist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially when it migrated and I had to push it back up. <laughs> uh, but it is a little weird. Like it is. It is not for everyone, but I do think that a lot of people will see use of it for access control, will see use of it for keeping some of their personal details. I know for sure I would eventually get a chip with my private key in it for my crypto wallet. um, And that can carry a lot more information with it. So I could do maybe ID verification with it. I could verify that I am that person. I could maybe allow some payments. It's something that you carry that you don't have to carry. It is in you. There's ways to leverage that technology for good.
1: So you mentioned you're on the the waiting list for a payment chip. Is this through Dangerous Things? When's this going to be revealed?
0: So I I am on the waiting list for the payment chip. I got to know about the company through Dangerous Things, but it is Vivokey. It's a separate company, and they've been doing a lot of implants for a while. And I think they did a payment chip for a bit, it was one of those flex chips, so it's not as easy to implant as this one. So it's a bit of a bigger gauge, and it worked kind of like a PayPal. So you you would load it with X amount of money, and then you could go spend it. Um, the one I am in line for is you basically activate it with your bank. They say 2026, but I honestly think 2027 is going to be ready because payment is very complicated because it's like like two-way transaction, like the. The reader does something with your card and then the chip is a little bit more heavy and complex than the ones you have in your hand. And also credit cards and debit cards expire and I don't want to be replacing my chip every couple of years because as much as I love having them, I don't love implanting them or removing them or having anything to do with relocating them. It's not nice.
1: Was it painful? No,
0: no. I was very anxious. I hate needles hate needles with deep, deep passion. Um, I like to say I'm allergic to them. Uh, uh, and I got it implanted by a doctor. So it was a plastic surgeon back home in Columbia, friend of the family, and he used like proper local anesthetics. So it was a really nice procedure. I was so anxious that when he decided to calm me down by showing me the needle, and I just saw like a coffee stir sticking out of his hand, I passed out twice. Um, but you live and learn. <laughs>
1: So the the thought of it was more painful than the actual procedure itself, would you say?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. But the one thing, like when you're gonna do it, local anesthetics or at least topical anesthetics, like something to take the edge off, because it is a feeling that you haven't felt before.
1: Is it uh, as big as a grain of rice or how big is it? Is it bigger?
0: It's a little bigger. So so it's like 1.5 centimeters across. Uh, and it is about three centimeters wide. So it, is, it fits inside a coffee stirrer. So the coffee stirrer needle would be right about what it is. And then when they implant it, the needle goes in about three centimeters, three and a half centimeters, and then they pull it out and they drop the chip in. You feel a bit of a pop. And then for the next three days or so, it's like having a grain of rice in your hand. You do feel it when you move it, but after it heals, it disappears completely and it just becomes a part of of you.
1: So tell us a little bit about a different experience you've had and this time you spent a whole week in your HoloLens. Tell us a bit about this and what made you do it.
0: Oh, that was an interesting one. Um, Ever since I got the Quest 2, I wanted to spend as much time in there as possible. But with the Quest 2, it's not possible because it is like it blocks your vision and the black and white is just not good enough. So I got my hands on the HoloLens, the Microsoft HoloLens, so it's an AR device. It is very nice and very comfortable to wear. The thing is, it is an enterprise device and emphasis on enterprise, like the things you can do with it as a consumer or as a person that's gonna use it on the daily basis are very limited. Like, I think the day I most enjoyed it was the day I did some repairs on my car the day I wasn't actually in- installing the unlock and lock function for my chip however did like th- the experiment was how can I integrate AR into my life like what what can me wearing the AR device all day for seven days teach me about where the future is going so, of course, I, I downloaded as much as many thought I would need to, for it to be helpful, so a lot of note-taking apps, a lot of um, like checklists apps, a lot of videos apps that I can load videos into. And in general, I used it kind of like an extension, like a, like a virtual iPad. Um, after the week, I like to say the HoloLens is my favorite cooking device of all time. It is absolutely fantastic, the fact that you can read the recipe, have your hands covered in chicken and, and seasoning, and scroll like this in the air without touching anything is beautiful. And then you go to the you go back into the stove and you just grab the screen and you move it over in front of the stove on top of the stove and you can keep reading the recipe. That is beautiful. And I use my hollowness to cook now all the time. But for other things it's a little wonky. It was a great experiment because you learned like there's a lot of things that you would like to see at all times. For instance, I kept I kept the time and the weather all the time. I built a little widget that would show the notifications on my phone on a little web browser so I could see who has messaged me. So kind of like Google Glass. It was great for capturing quick moments because it has great voice commands so I could tell it, hey, grab a picture of this because I want to remember this or grab a little video of this because I need to remember this specific part of a lecture or a conference or a call. It was great for bringing up notes. If I was grocery shopping, I could bring up my grocery list and, and scan it really quickly and not have to whip out my phone and then put it back in my pocket. So it's a great tool to aid in finding information and referring to information better. I would be willing to do it again with a different AR device, maybe something a little a little less heavy. Um, and now that we have Chat GPT, and I use that all the time, I would love to have that interface near me so I can just reference it like ASAP and then get a quick answer from it and go back to whatever I'm doing. I think that would be a nice next step for the experiment. And I'm I am actually looking forward to in two weeks' time. I'm going to do the same with, with the Quest Pro. This one has color pass through. It is mixed reality, so I wouldn't be seeing the real, real world. i will be seeing like a mixed reality version of it. But the resolution on this for using multiple screens is a lot better. So um, I am excited for it, but I do need to do a little bit of prep before diving fully into using the Quest Pro for the whole week.
1: I'm a firm believer that in the future we'll all be walking around with augmented reality glasses or contacts. It will be very lightweight and very much integrated and normal in, in society. When do you think that something like this will be the case? As far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm so sick of carrying around my phone like it's an extension of my arm and one day it will be part of these glasses and we'll be connected to the internet or chat GBT as you said. We won't need to be carrying around our phones. When do you think this is gonna become a little bit more mainstream? I
0: think like 2027 I think will be a year in which we will have something that is good usable I've been seeing a lot of projects popping up so the monocle little AR device is really nice It is very dev oriented I think whatever Apple will release this year, and I, I'm sure they're gonna release something They've been pushing it back for three years now will be revolutionary and whatever they do just take my money <laughs> grab it, whatever It's it. I do think it's going to be the iPhone moment that AR and VR needs and I'm not an Apple fanboy like most of my stuff is like an Android phone big PC at home. I don't really like the ecosystem that much, but I do think it brings a lot of, of users into the platform and they do polish it so that is a great user experience. So but will I
1: they think be... 2027
0: is a good year for, we will have a phone replacement.
1: But do you think they'll be lightweight enough? Because everything's so heavy these days. When is it all going to be so much lighter?
0: I don't know about that, you know, because I, I, I there's also physical constraints like batteries and where are you going to put the battery for it and, and where are you going to put the processing for it as well. So I, I think it's going to be more of an extension of the phone so we don't have to look at it as much. And then the phone will do all the heavy lifting and it'll just offload all the information to a very lightweight pair of glasses. I don't think we'll get to contacts yet. I, I'm not about to wear a tear-sized drop like battery on the side of my eye because the contact definitely can't hold it. Um, I'd rather just wear some glasses, a really nice, lightweight pair of glasses, like the ones we saw in Google's video last year for live translation. I think that'll be great. Like all I need, all I'm asking for is, I don't need any 3DOF of space. I don't need anything like that right now. I need a Google Glass reimagined so I don't have to pull out my phone as much and I don't have to look at my, at my smartwatch because that screen is too small and it, it's hard to interface with. I'd rather just have it on my face, all the time, information that I need access to or that I want to check out really quickly. Just as long as I don't have to pull this out of my pocket every single time, I love it.
1: Awesome. So I'm going to ask you to imagine a scenario. Okay, you ready? It's 2043. You've traveled into the future. You've woken up in the morning in an organic breathing bed and you've walked into the kitchen and any dish you desire is available at your fingertips. You get ready for your day at work and you put on your suit, which has integrated AI telling you what you need to do for the day. What happens next?
0: So I'm wearing my AI suit that tells me what I need to do and I'm gonna go work out. So I'm gonna ask it to give me a workout, but I feel like rowing. So I'm gonna go back to my breathing bed And my breathing bed is going to turn into something I can row into because my house is going to be fairly small you know there's not that much space in the future there's a lot of us coming so my house is very versatile and evolves with me so it turns into a rowing machine and I start rowing and the environment around me changes because the suit has this integrated like visor and I'm suddenly transported to the place that I want to be rowing at so today I want to be rowing in the thames and I'm going to row. I'm going to see all my friends rowing in the boat with me. One of them is going to be driving the boat, and we're going to be rowing together for about an hour, and it's going to be great. And then I'm going to jump into a call. So I'm going to leave my breathing bed, which, of course, I forgot to say good morning to, and it's breathing, so it'll be rude if I don't. So please remember in the future, when we wake up, we have to go say good morning to our bed. And I'll go into my, my office space, and my office space is the other corner of my little house. And my office space will transform into this office space that I designed together with the team. Um, and all of the team members will be there, telepresence style. And, and I can feel them a little bit because my suit has haptic feedback. So we can interact, we can have a nice full workday, um, or we can zoom out and doze into our own little private spaces of our homes. I, I hope that there's still some nature out there so that we can enjoy it and maybe go out for a walk sometime during the day. But as, as things are going, maybe not. Maybe it's a simulation of that, but I think the AI suit is gonna be great at simulating it anyway.
1: The AI AI suit sounds awesome. So (laughs) I'm like, buy me an AI suit, I'll happily wear it. Well, it was so nice to have you on the show today, Daniel. Thank you so much for sharing your experience with the microchip and spending a whole week in HoloLens. Goodness me. So good luck with all of your other endeavors you've got coming up.
0: Thank you and good luck with your chip. Feel free to reach out if you need any help and I'll send you the link for the little device I use for reprogramming it and testing it and checking what's around you.
1: That will be amazing. Yeah, I'm very excited about my microchip. Looking forward to it. See you later.